boils and ghouls. Turn out the lights. And keep the popcorn coming. Because it's time for another episode of Fright Fights Podcast. Fright Fights, Fights Podcast. Get ready for your gore gang. Tyler Cavett, Chris Lax, and Mike McKinney tackling horror news, reviews, and fight for their survival. Coming to you from the Fright Fights Fear Lodge. Get ready to sink your fangs into a battle that will make your blood run cold. This is Fright Fights. Is Fright Fights. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Fright Fights Horror Hangout November Edition. And this episode, we're going to be covering all the stuff that we couldn't get to in the original episodes. So without further ado, I'm here with my bud, Chris. We are going to talk a little bit about horror. I wanted to start out by saying, what the hell is going on with Best Buy? I'm a physical media collector. You're a physical media collector. We're looking here at the way things are going. And Best Buy had some of the best releases, the most exclusive content. I don't know what we're going to do because slowly but surely, it seems like physical media is completely slithering out. They did it to themselves. If you remember back in the day, at least like early 2000s even, you know, you would go to a Best Buy and they would have five or six aisles dedicated to DVDs and Blu-rays. And mm-hmm. they would have every single new release and they would have it stocked with five or six of each one of those titles. And they sold, you would go there a lot of times. They'd be sold out like two days later if you went back. And eventually it was like, well, we're going to narrow this down to make room for computers or something. They're going to make more room for it. So they put four aisles and then it was like, well, Blu-ray sell more. So let's get rid of all the DVDs. Now we're going to have three aisles of just <laughs> Blu-rays. Okay, 4Ks are out now. We're going to have an aisle of Blu-ray and aisle of 4Ks. Now we're not going to have one aisle. Now we're going to have one shelf. Like it just kept getting lower and lower to make room for everything else, except for what the one thing is that everybody wants them to sell. Yeah, and I mean, I Sorry, remember I going back there. <laughs> no, seriously, that's a great rant to have because it's kind of scary because, you know, horror fans, we have tons of just different boutique labels, tons of different releases that we want to pick up on the daily. And Best Buy, I mean, they used to have some of that. You used to go in there. I remember I couldn't find on Amazon or anywhere a copy of The Loved Ones from like, what, maybe eight, nine years ago walk into a Best Buy and they had a copy sitting right there on the shelf. Say so they had some very obscure titles a lot of times. And as they dwindled yeah. it down, those obscure titles went away. And then they stopped doing like all the cool, like, you know, boutique label releases that you'd find there. I found some arrows there before, not anymore. And that kind of brings us. But to I don't bigger. think, I don't think physical media is going away. I don't think, I, a matter of fact, I think it's probably going to get bigger and have more releases of more unique films and stuff and more collections and more box sets uh it's just all going to be online based it's all going to be through amazon it's all going to be through whatever company is releasing it you know scream factory vinegar syndrome uh because there is a market there's a lot of people that really collect all the especially nowadays everything's getting all retro and people are wanting you know vhs Mm -hmm. tapes again and cassette tapes for music um it's just 
all going to be an online base only, in my opinion, which I'm okay with that because you still get the movies you want. You still get really good deals on some of them for like Black Friday deals. I know Vinegar Syndrome has a release uh, or Black Friday releases every single year. And you get like a lot, you can get like five or six titles for a lower price. And it's something to look forward to. And people take advantage of that. And it's like a, it's become like an online event almost. So I don't think physical media is going anywhere. I just think the way you get the physical media is going to change within the next five or 10 years. You know where I think it's changing too is boutique labels. I think that we yeah. have like the mainstream kind of releases are mostly going to digital base and everybody wants them digitally. And then those boutique movie labels like Vinegar Syndrome, Scream Factory, Arrow, Severin, all of those I feel like are very successful and they just continue to get bigger and bigger. And I look, I do look forward, just like you, Chris, every single year, those Black Friday sales. I mean, I've been waiting for Cemetery Man to come out for years and we're finally getting it from Severin on a U.S. release, which is amazing. And I heard that Vinegar Syndrome has some really cool stuff for Black Friday plan too. So I'll be looking at both of those and definitely picking up some stuff for Christmas on my Christmas list because I definitely look forward to it. I love it so much. But I think it's also a bigger thing. Um, and I wanted to kind of get your opinion on it. Um, we both used to work at a movie theater and we've seen film, especially Marvel movies, how successful they are. And while this is a horror podcast, we're not really here to speculate on Marvel or anything. Um, I looked at the box office scores from this last week. I don't know if you had a chance to check them out yet, but the Marvels was the worst flop of MCU history. And we look at that success coming to an end of Marvel movies because the last seven or eight they've made has, you know, not necessarily lost money, but they've fell as much as 70 to 80% in profit. So we see Marvel slowly fizzling yeah. out. And horror is starting to go to streaming more, um, but you have success like Five Nights at Freddy's. Look how good that did. It did twice the number of Marvels. So what does this mean for horror? Yeah, I, I think it, it, superhero movies are kind of doing what horror films did in the 90s. So you had in the 80s, you had horror movie after horror movie, and that was dominating everything. To the point to where it just got tiring to people. Nobody wanted to watch them anymore because mm -hmm. there were so many of them to put out there all at once. I mean, in one year, you would have a new Not Rain on the Street movie, a new Halloween movie, a new Friday the 13th, new Texas Chainsaw. And it just got too many. And the quality of them obviously got less and less with each one. And then over the years from like 2007 all the way up through, you know, 2019 – we had superhero movie after superhero movie after superhero movie to the point to where – and they all tie together. So it's like you can't watch this one unless you go back and watch the other 15 first. And it just – it got <laughs> – it's too much. Yeah. So I think it's at that point where then COVID happened and then they weren't making that many movies. There wasn't hardly anything coming out and nothing was in theaters because theaters shut down. And then all, all of a sudden theaters were back open. Whole man we can go out and do something again what cool what's happening what's gonna be playing a horror movie the first one to come at scream six or, or scream five sorry scream five hit and everybody wanted to go back to the theater it was a revival no, Chris, of a horror franchise we watch not to interrupt you sorry but that's actually not true because if you remember we saw a horror masterpiece before that together it was the unholy oh god <laughs> 
That was oh, I was desperate. So I'm not sidetracked, but I was so desperate to see a horror movie in theaters. I was like, I've been waiting for a new horror movie. Scooby came out in May. I watched it and I was like, you know, that's just not horror enough for me. I need more. So I, I text Chris. <laughs> I'm like, I the theater has a movie called The Unholy. It literally they're just throwing it out there. Do you want to go see it? And he's like, Hell yeah, I do. We get to the theater and I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. I don't know what the hell that was. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, what I was saying was it's like the, it's it's in that same spot where now that everybody can go back to the theaters, they're wanting something to do. And one of the biggest in like returning franchises was Scream 5. So that was a big success. So then all of a sudden you have a big success. What's the follow? Another horror movie, another horror movie, another horror movie. And it seems like that's what everybody's focusing on now is how to revive all these horror films. What else is going to happen? Well, all these other movies that they're making that didn't wasn't successful during COVID or right before COVID, they're slowly getting away with or just doing streaming only because right now the horror market is where all the money is being made. Because you saw releases like Terrifier 2 and you know, and then Scream 6 came along. It was just all these films and franchises that didn't need to be there, but they were there because it was the only thing to see pretty much. And everybody wanted to get out and do something. And it just became that thing to do is to go to the theater, watch a horror film. Uh, I'm sure eventually, you know, they'll take a break. Then all of a sudden there'll be a big Marvel movie come back out, you know, five years later, and there'll be a big success again. It's just everything flows in little like, you know, gaps. And I think right now horror is kind of like in a high spot and Marvel movies, superhero movies, whatever, is kind of dwindling down to that low spot that they are going to stay in for a little bit until all these horror films are unsuccessful and they need something else to rejuvenate the box office again. And some big Hollywood uh, producer is going to make like a combining of like four or five different superheroes in one film and boom, you got another success on your hands. Yeah, I see that too because like there are those trends like what's in what what's in trend kind of thing, and weirdly enough, horror um the trendy thing lately has been like Catholic and like you know different kinds of like Catholic well, priest movies, which no one asked yeah, for, but, but I think it's interesting. I don't mean to interrupt you, but this yeah. kind of leads to what they're doing is you're seeing how successful these horror films are. They're bringing that aspect into the Marvel movies now. I don't know if you've seen it, but they just released the trailer for um, the web, um, the new Spider-Man universe movie. Um, yeah, it comes out in May. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But there's like aspects of Final Destination in it, where mm-hmm. it's this woman who uh, keeps seeing uh, like bad accidents happen and she almost dies or does die. And then it repeats, like she wakes up or whatever, and she just had a flash forward of something horrific. And then she has to figure out how to stop it from happening and killing everybody. And it's part of like the Spider-Man universe. And um, I think that's what it's happening is that they're, they're relying on horror to make it popular. And I, I do agree with that too, but it's so weird because we have the threat of AI coming out too with the, we had the writer strike. Then we had the, um, after strike um the wga was on strike for like what four or five months now um just now i think came to an end the first week of this month so that's great but i mean i think that you're absolutely right that we're going to continue to see horror flourish um which actually leads me to my next point 
And um, I actually watched this at the beginning of this month. So um, Five Nights at Freddy's. Did you have I saw it too. It? I did. Man, that thing was successful. I don't know. Did you watch it at home or just in the theater? We watched it at home. Um, I have a seven-year-old daughter, and I watched it with her. She really likes the game. She really gets into these these type of scary games and everything, and she loves watching other people play these scary games. But so as soon as they announced that there was a movie coming out, she was really looking forward to it. And I was, it was one of the first horror films that she was ever excited about, and that she actually wanted to watch. And I was very nervous on my on, on you know to to figure out whether or not she was going to sit through it and watch it and not be scared. And she loved it. She loved every second of it. She sat still. And um, she watched the entire thing. She asked questions about it. And at the end of it, she wanted to watch again. And there was no one way. moment that there was one moment that I, that was hilarious because she was watching it and she doesn't like she's not a big fan of blood. She doesn't like blood. Um, but there's a scene where one of the characters gets put into a costume and it's like a mask that's like a contraption, like a saw like contraption that's mm-hmm. closing into the guy's face and like blades are spinning really fast. And it looks like here any second it's going to snap or close and cut the guy's face open. And my daughter kept look like she, she squished up in a little ball. Like she was on the edge of her seat and she was like, I hope they don't show it. I hope they don't show it. I hope they don't show it. And then she looked over at me and she smiled. And she goes, I kind of hope they show it. And then she goes back to watching the movie again. And that, I felt very proud at that moment. Um, but she really liked it. She was really into it. She knew all the characters and stuff already. So she's very familiar with it. I think that kind of helped her get through it a little bit better. And uh, when the movie was over with, when I kept trying to refer to a scene or a, or a character, she would stop me and be like, that's the one thing from this one and this one and this one. And this is what he does. And this is what he does. And so, I mean, I had a really good time watching it with her and just that that special bond and stuff that we had with that. But for a movie all together, uh, it was very, very lackluster in scares. It was, there was nothing scary to be about it. It was very, it was made, made a lot for, for young kids. It was like a horror film for young kids, but without the, the fun, you know what I mean? It was a very serious horror film for a younger audience. Yeah. It was like YA horror, horror at its finest. And it did very successful. And I, I the reason I ask if you watch it in theaters is because I look around and I felt like I was the oldest one in the room. So this is definitely um, pushing hard to a new generation of horror goers. And it kind of makes you wonder if video game horror is going to come, um, you become like the next big thing again. They tried it back in the mid aughts and it, you know, semi worked for a while. Um, and I I could a hundred percent see him um, doing that. And I know that Matthew Lillard said he was signed on to three films, which I think is going to be interesting to see three different um, Five Nights at Freddy movies. I knew like Victoria, like the the guard, like the police, the police officer was one of the characters from Five Nights at Freddy's. They had a lot of the YouTubers do cameo appearances um, throughout. Um, I know a lot of people were mad that Markiplier wasn't in it, which everybody was looking forward to, but he didn't actually show up. <laughs> um, the story, I mean. Don't know how those people are. We can't really criticize it, um, like in terms of the story, even though I had a lot of problems with it. Um, I don't, I, I don't even want to review it. Like I, I hate reviewing this movie because I will say I had so many problems with it. And while I thought it was interesting, um, because we have one of those places around our area, it's called Billy Bob's Wonderland. 
and they have that kind of like animatronic kind of whole setup. It's very vintage Chuck E. Cheese inspired. And I love that about it. And I thought it was a very interesting take on uh, on horror to see something like that, especially being modeled after video game and being this successful. It's the new Marvel, you know. So I don't want to give it a review because when I look around that theater and I saw everybody having such a good time, I was scrolling through TikTok. I see people taking TikToks at the theater and showing people like jumping up and down excited at the mid credit scenes and really just coming out of their house and, you know, loving this movie collectively and people were cheering and having such a great time. I don't want to say anything negative about it because at the end of the day, when you have a film, that's what it's supposed to do. You could be film is there as an art form to criticize. So of course we're going to have our fair share of you know criticisms for it. But at the end of the day, when you have something as interesting uh, that brings people together in such a communal way, that's what horror is supposed to do. You know what I mean? Like as much as like it's gross out and weird a lot of times and there's slashers, there's death, there's all this. It brings like fans together to enjoy something communally, which is again what the theater does. So any kind of a movie yeah. for the new generation of YA horror that comes out and is that successful at bringing your daughter, you know, at the age of seven, raising a new generation of people who loves the art of film in general or horror and film. It's it's great. Yeah. And we really wanted to go to the theater to see this. She she knew when it came out, she kept begging, you know, when are we going to go? When are we going to go? And you know, due to her school and her school events and everything, and then me working, it was very hard to find a specific day to do it. Mm-hmm. So we knew that it was on Peacock. We knew it was streaming. And we were like, well, what if she doesn't like, you know, what if she's too scared? And I don't want to pay all this money to sit there for 15 minutes and then leave, you know? So mm-hmm. I was like, we might try this. We might try this at home first. And and she loved it. And she started watching more stuff. Um, the other day I came home from work and she was in the bedroom with my, with my wife and she was, they were watching uh interview with the vampire. No way. And I was like, how, I was like, how did, and she was liking it. She was asking to watch more. She, I mean, she made it like 40 minutes into it before it was time to go to sleep. And I mean, I was surprised. It was very awkward because I know some of the stuff that's in that movie, but um, <laughs> I was, I, I'm surprised. I didn't know what to say. I think it's awesome. Again, see, so Five Nights at Freddy's kind of showed her a an entire world of horror, and now she's starting to explore more on her own. It's it's gonna be, I'm telling you, we're gonna see an influx of, you know, like, we're gonna have Minecraft the movie, for example, and people are gonna go to the as long as long as they can make horror films and the kids can go see it, I'm excited because for the longest time I was wondering how horror fans are gonna get made these days because almost. 99% of the people you talk to from the 80s who were born or raised in the 80s and 90s, even the early 2000s, what is the one thing that every single one of them says? We went and rented the video from the video store. We walked around the video store and saw all the covers on the shelves, and that's what intrigued me to pick something out. So we rented the movie. We watched it with our eyes covered. You know, We didn't know what we were getting. We watched all these movies, and then the video stores went away. Right. So you couldn't just discover stuff anymore. Like you were on streaming, you have a specific thing you go to the streaming service for. You already know what you want to watch. Very rarely do you scroll through something trying to find a find a film and just come across something you've never seen and be like, I'll watch that one. Very rarely does that happen. You already know what you want to watch. And I, I, I feel like 
people doing that nowadays? Like, how do you make a horror film unless somebody like physically sitting them down and saying, here's what you need to watch. Here's what you need to do. But somebody just discovering the stuff by themselves, it's going to be a lot harder to make a horror film. I mean, for me personally, I never had anybody showing me this stuff. It was me, my mom dropping me off at the video store, me walking around, discovering all this stuff myself, picking out titles that I probably shouldn't have been watching or picking out, taking them home and discovering them that way, you know? It's the best. And I mean, sadly, no, they won't have that experience. But, you know, here's how I can see the future horror fan being made this is how it's going to be sadly but i mean at least they're they're into the genre and the genre is staying alive and it's doing very well right now but um it's all digital based it's word of mouth it's what's their friends watching what's the you know what's that um thing we saw on tiktok that was recommending like some people post like things about the reactions on tiktok and things like that and they go out and they want to watch the horror movie because of it they want to play the game and they have a horror movie come out from the game then they're all at the theater so sadly they're never going to know what it's like to physically hold media which sucks but the one thing we can be hopeful about is the fact that they're able to go and discover these films through friends and still talk about them so the horror community is still there it's just changed which is sad but at least it exists you know what i mean it's kind of like one of those things yeah at least they have the ability to find these things at their house like if they're home by themselves you know a 10 year old or whatever is sat in their bedroom with their tv watching playing a game or whatever and all of a sudden they you know they they go like i want to watch something let me click on you know max and all of a sudden there's a, a featured list there just added to max friday the 13th part 3 you know, just a random horror film. And they're like, what is that? And they just they just click on it and start watching it. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. they become a Friday the 13th fan. So it's it's cool that they could do that because we didn't obviously have access to that at the time. That was our video stores, you know. But yeah. um, I, I just think it's very hard because there's so many ways for them to not be able to see this stuff. And we had so many ways to get this stuff as a kid yes. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, I do think that it's sad, but it's also great. They have access. It's fantastic. So what all did you think about? I I can't give it a review. um, But before we move on from it, what did you think about Five Nights at Freddy's? Well, like I was saying, I I thought that it was it was okay. It was very lackluster in scares. It wasn't that interesting. It was just more of like a bland pg-13 horror film um i knew a little bit about the characters because i did play some of the video games with my daughter so i knew a little bit more about the backstory and stuff that was happening um so i could relate to it a little bit and i think that's the only saving grace it had as far as me personally Mm. um if i would have went into it not knowing anything about it whatsoever i probably wouldn't have liked it much but i had a i had a really good time with it though just because of the experience that it created for me and my daughter exactly and that's what you're gonna look back at i think is being able to have that experience with her that's what a lot of people i think will see from it too which is great um so i texted you the other day and i was excited because i woke up in the morning and i was about ready to go to school and right before i left they were like terrifier three trailer and i looked out yeah i was like oh my god it's terrifier (laughs) three trailer out, out of nowhere have you seen it yet i have not watched it because i have not seen terrifier 2 
Exactly. So, I was uh, about to say that. You haven't seen the second one. I thought, while I have you here, I want to show you this trailer because I want to have your opinion on this because I fucking love this. I fucking love this. Okay. It's not going to give probably away. means I'm going to fucking hate it. It's just wait, just wait, just wait. Let me get this up here. I'm going to pull it up. Boop and boop and boop. All right. You seeing that, Chris? Yes. All right. We'll commentate over this um, for you guys um, at home. If you haven't seen the Terrifier 3 trailer, definitely look it up and watch it because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Here it is. I did see that was going to be a Christmas themed uh, horror film, so I'm I like I like that idea of it. And that's exactly what I'm excited about for it is, it was rumored that it was going to be a Christmas horror film, and the moment that trailer dropped, you see the snowy outside background and the Christmas Carol, and then you see the kid, you know, looking outside for Santa going down the stairs, and I was like, that's it. It's going to be a Christmas horror film. I have a point to this make. This reminds it. me. This reminds me of like a '80s Silent Night, Deadly Night film. Exactly right, right. You know what else it reminds me of? The opening scene of Christmas Evil, which you know I am a huge fan of. Yep, I already like this trailer. <laughs> Right, yeah, I mean, it, and that's why I wanted to show it for is because Terrifier comes out and it's like the underdog of horror. Um, it's pretty much super low budget. And then Terrifier 2 has a fan base, and we almost have a brand new kind of horror villain be born. And now we have a Christmas horror movie based off of that, which is insane. <laughs> And then she screams Santa, and then Arthur Clown is dressed like Santa Claus with a fucking act, Silent Night Deadly Night style, and then the Terrifier 3 logo comes up. Oh, it even has like a generic like wreath with the Terrifier logo on it. That's... Yeah. Let me tell you, okay, I just want to say I'm not That's the gonna biggest... That's going to be cool. Right, right. I'm not the biggest fan of the Terrifier series, but I do want to say that I thought the fact that they're able to... Think about vintage horror. Like, think about horror, not like super, super old horror, but like horror from the 70s and 80s. What kind of things did it feature? It was very, then a slasher wave. We had a lot of Christmas horror movies come out as well. There was a Christmas horror movie wave. Then we have like these icons being born. Like, you know, we have Ghostface in the 90s. Then we have Michael Myers in the 70s. And then we have, you know, all these different kinds of horror villains coming out. Who do we have today? It's kind of like, you know, art is almost following this franchise they're building to kind of homage the 80s. I've never been a fan of it. I've seen films try to do this before. I'm like, I don't really get it because I don't like the way it's trying to do that. But this is the first time I've been able to look at something and say, while I know it's flawed and I don't love the series and I think it's flawed to hell, um, both films. I do like what they're doing with it. And I think it's exciting to see somebody actually make a franchise horror series that does throw back to the eighties and nineties without trying to copy word for word what they did. You know what I mean? 
yeah, like I, this makes me want to go and watch part two just so I can get to part three quicker. Like, you know. And if you do watch part two, let me know what you think because I have a lot of opinions about that. And I've been holding off because I've been waiting for you to watch it. I, you need to see it because I really want to talk about it because I have a lot of things I liked about it and a lot of things I hated about it. There's that. But I'm excited. Yeah. We have to wait an entire year. It's not coming yep. up until next October. I, you know what I thought? That'd be they crazy to release it this year. Yeah, I thought they were going to do this thing where, so Terrifier 2, they did a re-release for Halloween. So the Terrifier 3 trailer actually premiered attached to Terrifier 2. And I thought it was going to come on and say, you know, surprise, we made this entire movie in secret. Here's the trailer. It's coming out in two weeks. It's done. And I was so excited. How crazy would it have been if you went to watch Terrifier 2 in theaters and they would have just played Terrifier 3? Yes, yes, yes. Why? Why can't you know what I you know what I really want people to do? And I wish one company would do this just one time. (laughs) I want them to make a horror movie and then they take like, let's say. Ten different directors. And they give all 10 directors the same script and they, but each one of them gets like a different cast and a different, you know, all this stuff. And they go out with that same script and they make their movie, their version of that script. And then it's all titled the same movie and they release each individual one separately in certain theaters. So like you might go to this theater and see one movie and go to a different theater and it's a different version, like made by a different director, but it's the same story. Like that would be really cool to do. They kind of did that with um, what was that show called? Was it called The Chair? It wasn't Project Greenlight. So Project Greenlight came out, and that was one thing. And then they did something else, and it was that Shane Dawson movie. You remember that? It was not cool. Um, and then Hollywoodland, and they hold. Let me find. That's gonna drive me nuts until I find this. Um, The Chair. Yeah. So what it is, is it was called The Chair. It came out in 2014. It was on Stars. It was their it was their answer to HBO's Project Greenlight. And they gave two directors with two completely different visions. So they gave Shane Dawson, which is like a YouTube star. Um, and then they gave this one girl who made this like very like indie kind of like small kind of like artsy style. And they gave them the same script. And they said, you guys go out. We're going to give you your money. It's fully funded. You guys make it. And they came out with two completely different movies. I know Not Cool with Shane Dawson's. And it got booed. And everybody hated it. And then Holidaysburg, people were like walking out crying because it touched their heart so much. So it's like so interesting to see how you can have the same script told by two different visions. And one turned out to be fantastic while the other one turned out to be bad. So, yeah, I, I do want to see that happen again because I thought that was so interesting. And it's... I think it would be cool if they did it that way and there wasn't a full trailer. It would be like a teaser trailer where you don't get to see really any of the of the, of the actors or anything in yeah. it. And so once you go to the theater, you don't know that you've seen a different movie until you start talking to people about it. And you're just like, oh, remember that one scene? That wasn't in this movie. What are you talking about? And then it's like, all of a sudden, you have to go to (laughs) to a different theater to watch another movie again. Like, I think it would be really cool. I mean, yeah, I I would would be right there with you. I'd watch that for sure. 
Um, so Chris, I had something I wanted to bring up too. Um, and this is probably going to take up most of the show for, for me at least, because I absolutely love this. This is probably my favorite thing I've seen this year. Probably the favorite thing I've ever watched from last year. I mean, this thing, I it's the best thing I've seen at least in the last two or three years. My favorite. It's called Fall of the House of Usher. It's Mike Flanagan. It's on mm-hmm. Netflix. It is a mm-hmm. um, one of the miniseries. So it has eight episodes and it's just contained very similar to in the vein, I guess you would say, of like Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor. Yeah um what midnight mass and then he did the midnight club and now he did fall the house of usher i fucking love all those i'm here to tell you right now fall the house of usher was the best of them all and i love the other ones i do want to see it um the only reason i'm holding out on watching it was a because it was october time when it came out and i was watching you know 31 horror movies um, but also is my wife is a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe and all those type of stories. So I, I can't really watch it without her, without her being mad at me. So I have to wait until she has the time to watch it and we'll watch it together. Um, that's one of the only reasons why I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've heard nothing but great things. Um, I want to say that Henry Thomas and Kate Siegel's characters are fantastic. So the setup basically is is um they have like siblings, Roger Usher, which is your lead. He owns a pharmaceutical company called Fortunato Pharmaceuticals. He built that from the ground up by being very deceptive and very mean and gruesome and like bad spirited in general. Um, his entire family is a family of narcissists. Um, a family that is just bad people in general. They're, they're on drugs. They're drunk all the time. But they have billions of dollars. So they're filthy rich. And they don't care who they have to screw over to get to the top. They will be at the top. That's their kind of attitude. Um. So essentially, they start dying one by one. And then the story starts unfolding as each of these characters begin dying. And there's, okay, episode two, and this is not, this is, might be a small spoiler, Chris. I will not spoil anything else in the series, but I don't, I do want to spoil something because my favorite episode is still episode two out of all of them. And eight's really good too, but two's my favorite. Um, There's this scene and the youngest, like the youngest son of Fortunato Pharmaceuticals, Roger Kusher's son, um, he had sex with this like woman on this like yacht whenever he went to some like different country and ended up having this kid and he basically just wants to, to fucking party. And he has this dream. He's like, I don't want to do this pharmaceutical stuff all my life. Instead, I want to build this club. And I want this club to be a club where people have to pay $10,000 to get in the door. And I want this club to be extremely exclusive. So what does he do? He takes part of his family fortune and invests it into an old property that they were about to bulldoze to the ground. It was it belonged to Fortune of Pharmaceuticals. He gets in there and they're like, don't do it, don't do it kind of thing. Like, it's, it's a stupid idea. You're going to screw over the entire family's, you know, um the way they the way people perceive them like their reputation and he doesn't really listen and eventually 
he ends up having this crazy ass like club that he builds inside this building and he goes through with it he invites a lot of people including some of the people that um, is married to some of the people within the fortunato pharmaceutical family he invites like prophetic people outside of fortunato pharmaceuticals they're all there they're all partying and he has this thing where he says at the stroke of midnight everybody's going to be like having sex with each other they're going to be all drunk and we're all gonna just party our life away and at midnight we're gonna make it fucking rain that's what he says and what he means by that is he has a sprinkler system set up and he's going to have them turn on the sprinklers and the entire club's going to go crazy. People start cheering and they're going to start dancing. And the sprinklers are just going to make the whole place like wet. And people are just going to be like dancing over each other. It'll be a party, right? They get there. Things start happening. Midnight comes around. They go to the sprinkler and they're like, do it, make it rain kind of thing. They pull it. They didn't know this, but Fortunato Pharmaceuticals had actually exposed of acid and harsh chemicals that are extremely extremely erosive and they immediately start screaming and like the lights are strobing and the music's loud and like it all turns red and then we get the poe reference we look over and this woman dressed in red mask of the red death looks at him and is making her way through completely unscathed beautiful nothing wrong everybody else is screaming in pain you can see their skin like it's so it's gruesome like you see a hundred people and they're screaming for their life in pain and like you just see their skin searing off and flaking off and they're just like turning into sludge before your eyes and then she goes over and like picks up and he's she's like you're a beautiful boy and then kisses him in the mouth and right before he like just dies and then she's, that's like a metaphor, and that's a reference to Poe's Mask of the Red Death. We have references to Cask of Amontillado because they have like um, different kinds of allusions to that. There's this guy in there that actually um, is set up to be, so Poe had this guy that he always fought with. Um, he wrote this, he wrote this story and this guy asked him if he wanted to publish it in this newspaper. And Poe was like, yeah, I'll publish it in your newspaper. That's great. Well, he puts it all the way in the back, this guy does, Poe's work. Then Poe gets the magazine and he looks at it and he's pissed off because he's like, why the hell would he put my story in the very back? Well, it's because the guy wanted him to read the entire thing so he would review it. So then Poe gets like pissed because this guy put his story all the way in the back. And he's like, will you review my story? Will you review my story? And he's like, yeah, I'll review it all right. So then he writes this entire like four-page article about why the book sucked and why no one should buy it. And it completely ruins the guy, um, like his like entire like kind of career. And then Poe takes a vacation with that book and starts traveling around the world. And he says, hey, you see this book here um, that has my work in it? And they're like, yeah. And they said, don't read it. It fucking sucks. And like he, he gets so butthurt. So they have this whole rivalry going on and they reference it so heavily in the fall of the house of Usher. What I'm trying to say is 
this story packs in so many different Poe references and so many different um, pieces and it's scary. There's, there's scares. that's genuinely terrifying. The story is so well done. So well crafted. The characters are strong. Everything about it is absolute perfection. I gave it a 10. If I could give it higher than a 10, I would give it higher than a 10. I think it's absolute masterpiece. I think it's horror perfection. It's probably one of the best horror stories that's been told about Poe, period. I don't only recommend it. I will say it will change your life. Like, it is so good. So fucking good. You're muted, Chris, but I know. You're speechless. I know. You you know what that's going to mean, right? You're going to love it. No, it means I'm going to fucking hate it. You're going to love it. I, I swear. Here's the thing, though. Give it two episodes. Don't make a judgment of the first episode. You just got to see that second episode. See both and then make the judgment. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, let's take a little break. Um, and then we're going to come back here in just a second for the second part and hopefully mike will be back from the break then and we can all chat all right guys welcome back um to the second half of this hangout episode um fright fights unhinged me and Chris are still hanging out here talking a little bit about horror. Um, we have had the chance though to cross Black Friday, so that was a, a major thing for horror fans because, as we all know, Vinegar Syndrome has a huge Black Friday sale this year. Severin really popped off with a pretty big Black Friday sale. Um, I ordered from both. Chris, did you order from both? I did not. Um, I was very limited this go around. This just happened to hit right between like paychecks. Yeah. Um, I did pick up a few uh, a few picks from Vinegar Syndrome, which I like uh, immediately like messaged you like everything that I got, and I was like, I can't believe I spent so much money. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I I picked up uh, mostly the ones that I've just always wanted to see. Um, I got hell comes to frog town which is the uh roddy piper cheesy i think it was like released by trauma originally or something i think so um i picked up i picked up the blu-ray double feature it's a i think it's a, a spanish uh film it is vacation of terror one and vacation of terror two i don't know anything about them ex- except for them being like you know spanish made films um i picked up the Early 80s or mid 80s, I guess, uh, parody. It's one of the first horror parodies. Unmasked Part 25. That's the one that has like the Jason mask on the front of it. But I don't know if what what all it parodies, but it's a parody, like a slasher parody. Um, Demon Wind, which is like a cheesy 80s horror film. It's I always compared Demon Wind to be like like an 80s version of evil dead like a late 80s version of the evil dead like there's so much cheese and stuff just random stuff that happens throughout that film and you don't know where the movie's going to take you um it's a lot of fun i i picked that up oh i love demon um demon one's great uh, i picked up um today actually i picked up the 4k blu-ray uh 4k slash blu-ray of uh return of the living dead uh i love that movie so much and i i, I won't want to see what it looks like on 4k because it's supposedly scanned from the original negative and I, as much as i love that film i think it can look really good 
even though the zombies might be just uh, a little bit the quality with those because of the 4k but i yeah. i love the film and i can't wait to see what it looks like and there are some of those spanish you- films like the um, vacation of terror that you mentioned vinegar syndrome has put out some of those spanish made horror films um in the past and i've picked some of them up and they're a lot of fun honestly i've, I've had really good luck because you never know, like sometimes when, like, when Vinegar Syndrome releases something, you're like, what the hell is this? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I've never heard of this film. It's never been released before. It's only been on VHS. And I've never got the VHS because it's like $200. So your choice is to pick it up blindly. Yeah. And what I love about it is that like you, you can discover so much stuff. And honestly, I had a huge gap in Spanish horror. And I've had nothing but positive to say. Um, what is it? Cemetery of Terror? Was that the one I absolutely love? And you would like that a lot, Chris. Um, I would highly recommend checking. That's out. the same guy. That's the same guy who did uh the like the oh my gosh, what was it called? Uh, it was about the witch board. Um, um, the little kid he he wears like the dinosaur pajamas and he has the, the witch board that brings up like the demon ghost things. Oh shit! Uh, the fuck is that movie? I forgot the movie too. Oh no. Let's look this up. Oh, it's the I, same it's guy. The same guy who did it. Yeah, the same guy who made that movie also made uh, Cemetery of Terror. Let's look. How fast can I type here? Here it is. Um. Oh shit! The guy does not have a page. Let me try this one. He's a Spanish. He's a Spanish filmmaker. All right. Uh, oh man, he has a huge television career. It looks like from the early nineties. <clears throat> yeah, it's not on. I cannot find that. If anybody knows, let us know because we're we'll probably find the grave robbers. Yeah, don't I'll, I'll Google it real quick. Cemetery of Terror. Don't panic. That's it. It's don't panic. Is it don't panic? Yep, it's don't panic. Yeah, I picked that up from uh, Vinegar Syndrome like last year during Black Friday. Uh, but I also picked up a uh, a Christmas horror film called Don't Open Till Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, also one of the first, if not only, like sports horror films uh, with Fatal Games, like a sports slasher movie. Well, that's actually interesting because I, I picked that up too and I'm really excited to, to see it. Um I also got I love I'm a huge David Cronenberg fan. Um so I'm not a big fan of the movie because I've only seen it one time and its existence. Never really cared for it, but I, I did pick it up. Really? I see I really love Existence. Um and I, I think it's one of my favorite uh favorite Cronenberg films. Like I, I think it is. I think it's my favorite Cronenberg film. Really? And I, I really, really wanted to pick it up, but I it was just too much. I couldn't pay $50 for one title. I just could not do it. Well, I mean, maybe I need to uh, maybe do for a rewatch. Then if you if you loved it, and I, I it seems like it's extremely popular. So maybe it was just my viewing, but I did not have fun with it the very first time. But I did. So here's what I picked up. I picked up that. I picked up um, Fatal Games. And I don't want my order in front of me here, but I remember... What else did I get? And I, I know that um, existence was a very 
it's like one of those like big box sets almost so it was more and i think it is loaded with just tons of bonus features i know the scan looks really good on it too apparently but aside from that um i got did i get the hold on there's one more i got oh yeah the vinegar syndrome you got the lost film collection yes thank you true um it has 10 movies in it and it celebrates their kind of genre of vinegar syndrome from the past 10 years so they had like one per year that they've been in business as a, as a company so i'm really excited to see those I don't, I don't think i've seen any of the films on there so I'm, I'm really excited to check that out and i i know that's going to be a, a box that you're definitely going to discover a lot of different things on um that's just not been available before i've looked up some of these movies and they are not very you know well known so there's that um i do want to say i went to severn and i picked up my one of my favorites i know you don't like this one too much but de la morte de la more which is cemetery man it was very expensive but i mean i had to because it's been so long it's only been available like on a german blu-ray any other way you can get it, it's like a bootleg in america or like a region free player i had the I have a DVD of it um, somewhere. I have the original DVD that was released. I think it was an Anchor Bay release. Mm-hmm. Um, Very it expensive. It came out back in like early to early to mid two thousands, and I I was not a fan of this movie. I it, it it's one of those movies too where it feels like a dream. Like the entire movie is very dreamlike. You know, how like Phantasm. You just yeah. watch the whole movie and it feels like you just had a really weird dream. Yeah, it's the same thing. It has that weird quality to it, but. I don't know. It was just, I never really could get into it. It was a little boring and a little slow to me. Um, just nothing that I really liked. I mean, obviously it's been a long time since I've seen it. So maybe a, a rewatching needs to happen, but I just, I didn't care for it. Well, you know how I feel about Phantasm. I love Phantasm. I, I, I think you like Phantasm more than this, right though? Um, oh yeah. But the thing is, is like, if we look at De La Morte, De La Morte, I think the big thing is, is it's not really had a massive release. I think it's been like one of those things. It's more just regional releases. So I'm I'm wondering how this is going to look compared to what it was, because I know like the scan was done brand new this year. So I'm really excited to check it out. I mean, I had a splurge on it because it was very expensive. There was more movies, but I already got them from Code Red. So they put out um, like the church, the sect, all those. Um, I didn't bother to get those because I just got them on Blu-ray like two or three years ago. Then I want to double dip. They're to the point where they're just kind of re-releasing shit at this point. But I mean, if you had not gotten that movie, yes, that's the copy I that's the copy I had. Yeah, yeah. It's um it goes for a lot. Um Chris is holding up a copy of Cemetery Man. And it's the original Anchor Bay Blu-ray. I think not Blu-ray, but DVD. And I think it went for quite a bit of money before this one came out, which this one came for quite a bit of money when it's in print. So yeah, one way I, or uh, I usually usually keep every DVD I have until I upgrade, and I just haven't had a chance to upgrade yet because I didn't really care for the movie. But I mean, maybe I need, like I said, I need to rewatch it. Sorry for backtracking. No, you're good because I I mean it's something that I think that it's not gotten a proper release, just the DVD. So I'm curious to see. You know how it is. I mean, I, I love it. I'm not trying to say that. You know, what I'm trying to, you know what I'm trying to say. You 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 pick up what I'm putting down. But they also had, so the church, the sect, spider labyrinth, closed circuit, 
Raiders of the Living Dead, which looked absolutely terrible. I thought about picking it up because it's like 25 bucks. And I was like, you know, this is a good opportunity to just grab it blindly. It does not look good. It sounds like an older film, but when I started looking at it, it, it seems to be a newer made film. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I can't get myself to buy it. They've been doing that lately, Severn has. Um, taking like newer, like 2013, 2015, 2018, you know, whatever year films. And they've been putting them back out again and restoring them. Because I, I guess a lot of times that these films don't get proper Blu-ray releases. And it's their way of kind of just being discovered for the first time. But it did not look good. Did not pick it up. I did pick up something that's non-horror from Severn, but still genre. Um, so we'll mention that. But I mean, I, I I shop around and I've gotten tons of stuff from Criterion, from the Barnes & Noble sale. That was a big Black Friday. And anybody who likes Criterion movies knows. And Criterion has released some horror. So, I mean, definitely stock up on horror. There's House, which is a really good one on there. And... It's a, it's a sale you just don't want to miss. It's every single year. They do it in November. And um, it's Criterion on Barnes & Noble. And you can get the, the Blu-rays for like less than 20 bucks. And it's it's great. And they're always great transfers too. So it was successful shopping. Did you pick up anything else on Black Friday? I, th- I know there was a couple more deals going on. But I didn't shop besides what I just said. Yeah, no. I, I was very sparing this this year. Uh, like I said, I picked up those six titles from Vinegar Syndrome, and then I picked up the Blu-ray 4K of Return of the Living Dead. That's all that I got this year for Black Friday. Same. It was a very quiet year for me, too, and usually I pick up a lot more. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, is like a lot of these things are just getting re-released, so it's always tough. But, um, you know, the one thing I always look forward to about these shows, Chris, we haven't had a chance to do this month is talk a little bit about the worst films um in your book that we were doing remember so do you want to move on yes. to that because like i i last time i got yes. so pissed off and so mad that i just cannot wait to hear the next five yes so i wanted to refresh the listeners uh from the, the last time we did this uh, i found a magazine that was called horror the ultimate celebration and it is done by uh, SFX and F- Total Film Magazine. And they combine a list of the top 50 worst horror films of all time. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement right there. Top 50 of all time. And we went through the first five. So like 50 through 46. And we gave our thoughts on those. So we're going to start again and go 45 through 41. And give our thoughts on these and eventually throughout the episodes we will get down to the final top five films of all time that are considered the worst um so what do you think about this tyler at number 45 from 2007 the remake to the hitcher i love the hitcher the remake was not that bad it wasn't good. I'm not going to argue with it not being on the list. I don't think it was the top 50 worst films by any means. No, no. By no means was it that bad at all. I thought it was actually a pretty fun, pretty fun movie. I, as remakes go, I thought it was pretty good. Um, this came out right uh, a few years after uh, um, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake from 
oh man, what's the oh three? What's the company? Uh, right. Uh, 2007 is when the Hitchhiker came out. I know we were talking um, about the um, 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Oh, yes, yes. 2003. Um, it was done by the production company. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm blanking. I don't know. I don't, I don't know which one. I'm sorry. There's a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a production company that did, like, the Friday the 13th movie, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, the the hitcher uh i think i know what it is but i don't want to say it let me let me double check it real quick because i don't want to tell the oh my god it's literally like right here in front of me hey, let me find the hitcher i have it literally i've been staring at it here recently here it is um rogue from rogue all right or platinum dunes platinum dunes there we go all right so yeah platinum dunes put out a bunch of remakes like back to back to back to back to back out of all of those, I thought that this was one of the topper of the the remakes. I actually enjoyed the Hitcher remake. Was the Hills Have Eyes on that list too? Hills Have Eyes. Yes. Yeah. Hills Have Eyes. Um, Hills Have Eyes. Friday the Thirteenth. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Hitcher. Um, I think they might have did the Fog. I can't remember if they did the fog or not, but there was a bunch of films that Platinum Dunes did. It was like and... their response to um what is it? Um the the people who did House of Wax. Why am I blinking on this? That really big company making higher budget horror films. And they were trying to what you know what I'm talking Ghost about? House. Ghost House. Like, yeah. Ghost House pictures or Ghost House films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like their answer to that. Um, moving on, so number 44 of the worst horror films of all time from 2008, Shark in Venice. I have never seen it. I know nothing about it. Uh, it says, uh, it says, rising sea temperatures bring a hungry great white shark to the canals of Venice. I'm assuming it's one of those like made for sci-fi sci-fi channel type films i don't know the way the the title sounds it's like shark in venice is that what it's called um yeah it reminds me of like those like love stories it's like a shark in venice you know what i mean it's like oh i'm going to venice i'm finding myself i'm finding my lover so the shark like just travels to venice to meet somebody and then just like gets pissed off about the breakup and just starts wreaking havoc throughout venice <laughs> i think it's fucking genius honestly I mean, I can't attest that it should be on there, should it be on there, but at the end of the day, it's called Shark and Venice, so I think we could probably picture how bad that would be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, number 43, uh, from 2009, The Unborn. And I agree wholeheartedly I... with this movie. I hated this film. I One of the worst movies I've ever seen in theaters. I remember specifically... One of the worst. You think it was, I mean, I kind of get that. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you. I get that. I remember sitting in the theater watching it and there's a scene where like the priest grabs this really long like shell and blows into it to like towards the, this goat. Like, I can't remember exactly what it was, I but what you're talking this about. weird goat and he's blowing into this long horn and i'm in the middle of this theater and i just remember like i could not resist 
I I screamed out. I went Ricola, and everybody started dying laughing at that scene. And that's like the only thing I remember about this movie, besides it being one of the worst things that I've ever I've ever watched. Well, that was bad, yeah. But at the same time, one of the worst parts of the film for me was the weird like Holocaust undertones that I had. There were moments that was just like, well, the the twins. Um, they experimented with their eye colors, and this was in the, the Holocaust, the Holocaust. So I'm like, what is, you know, I, I don't understand the backstory of why we have to bring a Holocaust background into these characters. And it kind of went south from there when they were like, oh, you know, Jumpy wants to be born now kind of thing. It's just like, why? Yes, it's weird twin Jumbie, guy. Like, like yeah, I yeah. couldn't even stand that the guy's name or the kid's name was Jumby. Like, I was just pissed off immediately as soon as they told the kid's name. <laughs> And it was it was poorly done. They they were kind of it was sloppy. It was all over the place. Like you know, like a couple scenes was there were some redeemable moments. Like a few times throughout that was like you know this this had potential. You could you could look at it like li- like read the premise. Like don't watch the movie. Don't look at anything about it. Read the premise on paper. It seems like it could work, right? But when it actually gets translated to the screen, it's probably you know I think you know it's the obviously it's the forty third worst film of all time. Yep. So moving on to number 42. This one actually makes me a little mad. It is from 1972, Night of the Lepus. And I do not agree with it being on this list. This is the giant killer bunny film from 1972. And I remember watching this. It was a made-for-TV film. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it growing up. I was really, really intrigued by how they did the special effects with the giant rabbits where they used uh, miniature sets. Um, They used a lot. It's real rabbits back then, you know. So they used a lot of miniatures and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. I I really liked it. I, I thought it was a really fun movie. I thought it was really cool to see. And I don't agree that it's on that should be on a top worst list. No, no, I'm right there with it. I think it, I think it's because the the lower budget aspect to it is it's probably the visuals. They're like, oh, well, you know, it's not a good quality, and that's why we don't like it. Um, but you know, that's something that's not necessarily tied to the narrative of a film. And I think it's stupid to say, hey, um, we're gonna say this is one of the worst films of all time because we don't like the quality of it. And it's very apparent that's what it was. So, I mean, I don't think it belongs on the list either at that moment or at that point, I should say. One of the list got so mad and angry and made Chris mad. There he is. <laughs> Did you get that? No, you um completely froze, and I was like, "Oh, well, that done pissed him off. That threw him over the edge." The list oh. made him leave. <laughs> All right, I'll repeat this. All right, so the last one on the list here for today, uh, the number forty-one of worst movies of all time, according to this magazine from two thousand eight, Zombie Strippers. I have not seen it. I have not seen it either. Either. Uh, I know nothing about it. Um, I I don't know who's in it. I don't know. That's pretty bad. So, I mean, that has that going for it. How does the the poster look like super sci-fi channel original movie or asylum movie? 
Uh, it looks like it could be an asylum film, yeah. Something like that. I know it's not because I think I've seen the DVD and stuff out, but I, I, it just looks like that type of quality, just very mm. low budget. I, I, like I said, I don't know much about it. Um, there was this weird run. Yeah, there we go. It's like from like 2005, six to like 2011, 12, like a six or seven year period. And I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but it was back whenever like American Pie was putting out their straight to video titles and like I know, like Asylum was putting out their straight to video titles. Who else was it? There was um, several other like studios was putting out straight to video titles, and they had also like the After Dark Horror Fest putting out titles, which some of those were fun. Um, but from like two thousand five to two thousand eleven, that period there, we just get thousands of like direct to video titles that were horrible. There were like some fun ones, like I loved um some of the After Dark Horror Fest straight to video um releases were you know great but you know whenever you see like 2008 straight to video you kind of know what you're getting into that's what i'm trying to say yeah. with them. <clears throat> but uh moving on a little bit um since we got past the worst movies let's talk some good movies yeah i i got the chance to check out thanksgiving mm-hmm. thanksgiving and <laughs> this by far is Eli Roth's best movie. Um, I, no I don't like anything else that he's done. I I'm not going to give spoilers or anything, but I really, really like this movie. It was so much fun. It's a throwback to '80s horror film in the most truest truest fashion. He takes everything serious. It is really funny. It's a lot of fun. It's really gory and violent. There's a lot of deaths in it, and they he did it very well. Where you know how they would have like every few minutes in horror films, there's supposed to be a death scene or something like that in there. He right. spaces out those scenes really well. It seems like every few minutes, like every five minutes, there's a death scene that occurs, and it's very violent, very gory. There is the killer is is unique, but it's not like it's not like iconic look for a killer, but it's definitely different. And you could tell that they've they've run out of ideas for like masks and stuff like that. You can't really get an iconic look that much these days. So it doesn't really fit the iconic status, but um excuse me. Uh it was a lot of fun. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Took the idea of Thanksgiving, the holiday itself, and idolized it uh at its highest. Like they use tools and stuff that you were like the utensils and stuff that you would use for Thanksgiving dinners. Like there was a scene with the cor- with the corn cobs, um, like the little sticks that you stick like in the, the end yeah, of the corn cobs. Yeah, there's that. Uh, like stuff with like basting a turkey is utilized or utilized in here. Um, Dude, that sounds so like everything that, that we would want it to be. Honestly, it it was everything that I wanted it to be. Uh, um, the only thing is, I, I told you before in a previous episode that I, I I wish there was a lot of violence and gore and a lot of nudity. It had everything in there except for the nudity. There was no nudity in the movie at all. Yeah. Um, but it did not take away from the movie. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, I highly recommend it. It lived up to the expectation. I went into it thinking I was going to not like it just because I don't like a lot of Eli Roth's films. Mm-hmm. But it surpassed everything, and I really loved it. And there's news that just came out as well. Thanksgiving 2 
will be out in 2025. And I, I think that that's in direct response to the fact that this was very successful. I mean, I don't think they spent a whole lot of money on it, but the opening weekend was solid. And the second weekend was even better because it was around like that. What was like the Thanksgiving four day weekend, the Thursday through Sunday. And it knocked it out. Like yeah. It was like second or third place against some of the biggest films. Now, I know, Chris, you were saying that you were worried going into this um, with thinking about like, is it going to be gritty? Does it have that kind of like throwback grindhouse drive in kind of quality to it that we kind of was expecting? Did it have any of that or was it made very slick? Well, it is slick in a style like you can tell like it's it's filmed really nicely, mm-hmm. but it it has a weird quality to it because it feels like it feels like those old '90s slasher movies. It feels like a I know what you did last summer, urban legend, uh, stuff like that. It, it has that feel to it. I don't know if it's the quality of film that they used or if it's just the style of filmmaking he used. But it definitely had a very retro, not 80s, I'm saying. It, it felt like a 90s slasher film. And it was all all nice. Like, it was, it, it flowed really well. It just brought you back into that style of filmmaking. And I, I was really, really impressed. Dude, I mean, you've sold me. I've, I was really wanting to see it before, and it was on my list. But now I, like, immediately want to see it. Because I... I have a love hate with Eli Roth as well. I think that his films, he's made some like okay ones, um, but for the most part, they do fall pretty flat. They always have that potential, and by the end of it, you're just it loses that momentum. But I think Thanksgiving seems like you know it's kind of a gimmick movie, but at the end of the day, it seemed like it was going to be fucking fun. You know, how often do we have a Thanksgiving based horror film that comes out in theaters, especially like fucking theaters? It's crazy. This has been in development hell for like what over a decade. So now we, now we actually have it out and it's doing well. It's crazy, but this could be like an entire franchise and you're saying it's great. The reviews are great. It's making money. I mean, fuck, I need to go see, I need to go see this right now. And I I hate to speak on Mike's part, but uh, I did get a chance to talk to Mike about it um, after he watched it. Yeah. And he really liked it as well. He he basically had the same thoughts I did. Um, he he felt the same way about it. How how it was fun, but I don't want to speak on on his part. So I'll let him talk about it next time he's available to, to chat. But uh, I know that both of us really liked it. Sweet, sweet. Well, I had to. You know, speaking of films that we kind of like, maybe like directors or films that we've lost respect for over the years. Um, saw. The franchise itself, I have a love-hate relationship with. And I finally got to see Saw 10. And I was going in with the lowest, the lowest, tiniest little morsel of, you know, positivity I possibly could. Because let's let's recap here. I like Saw. Saw 2 was good, not great. But it was okay. Saw 3, good, not great. It was okay. Saw 4, not so good. Next to bad, but not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it was like absolutely horrible, but it was it was not good. Saw five, fucking atrocious. I hate that film with everything in me. Saw six, good, not great. It was fine. I mean, it was kind of getting exhaustive at that point. Saw seven, what the fuck was up with the pink blood? Why was the ending like that? Why the whole thing was an absolute fucking catastrophe? Then we have your spiral and jigsaw spiral. Um, horrible. 
the fucking sword jigsaw even worse so whenever you have a film that says like you know saw 10 it's not a spinoff it's not a prequel it's not a sequel but they pulled a, a halloween so this one takes place um after the events of saw leading into saw 2 um all the original cast is back which is a plus because it's been like since the physical original cast has been together it's been over you know 11 12 years at this point so the fact that everybody's still i mean fuck is the fact tobin bell's still alive and working is a miracle at the very least you know um and he's like in his 80s now at this point playing um jigsaw which is even more scary now because as he's aging his character kind of has this more sinister kind of appearance and it kind of got costumey in the earlier films too but that's kind of like why what we love about it and you know this one they said they wanted to throw back to the originals like they wanted it to look like saw saw two saw three that trilogy there had a very specific look to it um and it did i mean the lighting that they crushed the yellows they went you know they had a very um deep contrast it felt very reminiscent of saw saw two saw three maybe some saw four um but we basically have a story here um that goes to where he gets cheated john kramer does and have you seen this yet chris i have not seen it yet i don't want to spoil too much of it but i will say um we see him get cheated he is told that they have a miraculous cure to his cancer that later kills him in the third movie and they're able to treat it so he travels to mexico pays out his life savings goes through you know all these clinical trials to make sure that the operation is going to be effective well then they learn that i think that's hinted at in in one of the movies in the franchise i can't remember which one it is but they hinted that where he had the cancer and it was something went wrong, something was done wrong, yeah. and ultimately he died from it. So, or well, yeah, he did die from it. Well, yeah, that's like the premise of like John Kramer too is just like the fact that like, hey, we know we're taking somebody who had a life, they fucked it up, so therefore I'm going to put them through a series of tests to see if they're worthy because I'm not going to have that chance because I was done wrong. It's kind of like the whole, you know what I mean? Like that's like from the first Saul movie, even it kind of had that like, hey, don't fuck with me because I've been fucked with, like kind of mentality. You know what I mean? And I'm um, sorry, my cat's over here acting weird. Anyway, back to the back to the film. Um, he gets there, they do the procedure, quote unquote. He wakes up, and what they do is they show him like, hey, this is what we, this is how we did the procedure. This is what we did, and they show him a video of it. Well, he's so overjoyed the fact that his cancer has been cured. I'll, I'll just fast forward here. He goes home, but right before he leaves, he mentions to this nurse that's taking care of him at the facility. Um, and keep in mind, this, this facility is like very under wraps. Like they don't want anybody to find out about it. But he eventually goes back to thank everybody for their service or whatever. He gets like a, like, like a I don't know, like a champagne or like a wine to bring back. They talk about and he leaves it there and as he's leaving it he notices everybody's gone and he's like what's going on so he goes to like the operating area that they showed him and he goes through the entire thing looking for somebody yelling for the nurse they're gone the place is completely shut down and then he realizes there's a videotape they put in of brain surgery like a like a brain surgery um medical kind of thing that they would show like in you know medical schools 
And essentially they were just playing that to make him seem like he was like partially because con- they, they said like, oh, we have to give you partially conscious to make sure your brain's firing the correct neurons and stuff. So what he was watching was technically a video they would show in medical schools that wasn't even doing any kind of procedure on him. They were faking the entire thing. It was a sham. So he gets angry. And we have this fantastic, I mean, this is extremely we we talk about sympathetic villains and there's been sympathetic villains throughout and one that you kind of feel for no matter what and he's wicked yeah he's wrong for doing it but at the end of the day we kind of feel for john kramer he had an entire life and the fact that they weren't able to to help him you kind of just feel bad the guy's about to die and he's like well you know throughout the entire series you have this lingering yeah he's kind of a, a horrible fucking guy and does he deserve like to like be locked up or like be put to death maybe but you can kind of feel for him because he's almost dead or he's already dead and this really plays to that and this really plays to the fact that these traps that he creates for the people who wronged him is winnable like they're possible and if you remember Back in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh film, the traps every time. And I, I don't blame them for this because I understand when it comes down to making a film, how hard it is to progressively up the stakes. Like every film you make year after year, it's like, okay, what can we do better? How can we outdo ourselves from the last one? Well, this one, they really outdid themselves because they said, we're not going to look at any of the past films. We're going to go back to the very first one and we're going to strip it back and we're going to make these traps possible. So he gets them all together, all the people from that sham, chains them up. There's a lot. I'm not going to give away any kind of like like specific details, but we have crazy ass death scenes. I mean, there's one where he like lifts up the person he bought the wine for, which was his nurse and with chains. And they have this um, like cat scan machine, which puts out crazy ass radiation and they turn it up as high as it can go. And they like reflect it to where like it reflects directly on her and starts burning her from the inside out. And they're like, please help me, please help me. And she's like, they're trying to like help her from the ground. And eventually they cut like one chain loose to where she falls out of the the thing. And then the whole machine kind of comes down and continues like fryer from the inside out. It's crazy stuff, but they're winnable. And that's what makes them so interesting. There's some twists. There's always that saw twist. Um, there's just, I mean, I I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, it's all I can say about it without, I don't want to give away this ending. I don't want to give away um, all the traps because they're all very interesting. There's a lot of really good characterization that plays into um, plays into it. Um, it's an homage to the original, but it's done so much better. I, I can't say it's better than the It's hard to say that, but this is right up with the original. Like, I'm telling you, this is the best Saw movie they've ever made. It's better than the first. It's better than the second. It's better than any of the other films. This is truly my favorite Saw movie they've ever made. And I don't think they could ever do it again. I really don't. After this one, I mean, where do you go? You can't go anywhere with it. I mean, it's this is the complete series. You get that, like, you get that backstory to Kramer even more you know how he feels inside, you know, his prerogative and what he really wants for these victims. You get those answers. You see, um, 
tons of like backstory to to the to, to kramer as well and you see how these traps really work and i think that that's what makes this interesting enough so i mean i'm just telling you i'm gonna rate it um i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten and yeah, yeah that's not a ten but for me saw like the first saw movie it's also an eight out of ten that's as high as the saw series goes because i don't love the series i do really like some of them like i think that saw through, through saw three if you're gonna like tell somebody like hey you need to watch some saw movies if you just have to watch that trilogy, they've really got everything they need. They don't really need any more than that. But now I'm going to say, you really need to watch Shaw 10 and then watch Saw 2 and 3. I think it's very important to the series. I think it's fantastic. I think that it's going to be remembered as probably one of the best, if not the best Saw movie. I think a lot of people feel the same way about it. Please don't make another one, though. Please don't make another one. This is, I'm telling you, this has to be the last one. This is I'll, I'll watch it i'll watch it eventually I, it's the only one i haven't seen so for sure so yeah man i wanted to highlight that um man i have do you have you have any more movies you've watched those last couple of weeks because it's been absolutely crazy with the holidays but let me tell you we have been shopping we've been shopping for horror, and i think next month we are going to be watching them left and right when they come in so um I guess what we'll do is we're going to wrap up for this month's hangout. Um, a little unhinged action for you. Of course, we're going to be back next month. We're going to have more episodes. We're going to have more battles, more stakes, more fun. Definitely reach out to us on Twitter. Um, we are on Slasher App. Shoo, I almost forgot what we had for a minute. We are on the Facebook group. We love talking horror with you guys. Chris, you want to say anything else before we go? Uh, we can go ahead and tell them what our next topic is going to be. So yeah. um, after yeah. this episode, our next topic for the battle is going to be Christmas horror films. So that'll be a lot of fun. We got a bunch of movies picked out for us, and I cannot wait for us to get started on those because I love a good Christmas horror film. Hell yeah. Um, tis the season. And we have a surprise guest, so stay tuned because we will be revealing that on that episode that should be dropping very close to Christmas time. So without further ado, um, we will see you guys later. We love you. Peace out.